So, John chapter 4, if you want to have a look at the, the verses there, if you've come with a Bible or whatever, whatever way you want to follow along, that's great. Um, we have been spending a few weeks now going through uh, various um, encounters that Jesus has with, with people. And uh, there, there are multiple encounters that he has, and we're, we're using the book of John as a great base because there's lots of conversations. And uh, what we're starting to see is that, that, that everybody's different uh, when it comes to coming to Jesus and, and knowing him and, and having an encounter with him. Everybody's different. Um, and here we have today, we'll look at this in a minute, but we have a woman who's minding her own business, uh, just, just getting on with life. She wasn't looking for an encounter with Jesus. She wasn't apparently searching for Jesus. Uh, it was a seemingly chance encounter that she had with him. Um, but that encounter, as we shall see, uh, changed her life forever. Changed the way that she saw herself. Changed the way that, that she understood God as seeing her. Changed the way that she saw others in her life. And maybe uh, already off the bat, you've got something perhaps in common with the woman in this account. Um, maybe this describes you somehow or other. Anyway, um, as we've been looking at over the last few weeks, the, the, the Christian faith, you know, uh, this encounter with Jesus is accessible by, and one of the ways we can do it is by understanding how Jesus interacts with people. So if we understand that and see his heart and, and, and see how, how we can sort of, um, you know, be on the other end, I suppose, of the conversation with him, that really can uh, unlock life and truth for us. So let's read together um, from John chapter 4. I think um, it's beginning at verse 3 on your sheet. Um, let's read God's word. Readings from John 4. There's a few breaks, and I'll, I'll try and point them out as we go. So he, that is Jesus, in verse 3, John chapter 4, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, and he came to a town in, of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus... Worried as he, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I've no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I've no husband, for you've had five husbands and the one you, have, or you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And then down to verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town 
and we're coming to him. Great. We'll leave the reading just there. Um, if, you, if you want to have an encounter with Jesus, you need to see two things. I think this, this passage really sums it up for us. You need to see, number one, that he crosses a divide to have an encounter with you, to reach out to you. And the second thing you need to see is that he offers what your soul is thirsting for. So he crosses the divide, he comes to you, and he gives you what you need, what you are truly hungering for. That's the nature of an encounter with Jesus. Um, and let's take a little look and, and see where we get that from in the scripture. Um, Jesus crosses the divide to reach out. Here he is, he's traveling through, uh, it says, Judea, and he's on his way up to Galilee, which is sort of the northern, I suppose, district. And uh, in order to get there, he and his disciples had to walk through a Samaritan region. And it gives you the name of the little town there, Sychar, or Sychar, something like that. Um, it's a Samaritan re- region. And, and in verse 6, we're told that J- Jesus was there. He was weary from the journey. He was tired. All of their travel would have been on foot. Um, uh, very few people could have afforded a horse or a chariot or even a donkey or something like that. Uh, the, the journey was on foot. And so he was tired. He was alone. Um, it says there that in verse 8, the disciples had gone away into the town or the city to buy some food. So there he was, sat there, thirsting away. And in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to the well to draw some water. And he asks her, will you give me some water to drink? Will you give me some water to drink? And her response in verse 9 says it all. You're asking me for a, a drink? How, how can it be? I'm a woman from Samaria. You're asking me? You see, the first divide that Jesus crosses is, is sort of a, a religious divide. Um, the background here is that there's a, there's a long-standing hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, the, ba- the background is many centuries earlier, uh, when Israel itself, the, 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 the people of Israel were divided in the northern district and the southern district. In the northern district was overtaken, overrun by the Assyrians. They, they got absolutely wiped out. Many of the people were taken away to exile. Um, and, uh, and so the ones left over uh, were sort of joined by other foreigners that the Assyrians brought in. They sort of mixed them all in together. And these are the sort of people that then eventually formed the, 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 the people that we now know as the Samaritans. It's like a real mixture, a bit of, bit of Judaism sort of mixed in there. Some of them would have you know, accepted the, the, uh, the, the, the scriptures, the Old Testament, the, the, the books of Moses, you know, Genesis, Deuteronomy, and all the rest of it. Um, but there was all these other mixed in values and thoughts as well. It was a real hodgepodge. And so uh, the, the Jews saw that group as, as just a corrupt bunch of half-breeds, an evil mixture of paganism and Judaism. They just would not be seen dead with these people. And yet that does not put Jesus off here. He crosses the religious divide in order to reach this, this woman, who's a Samaritan. And who does that? That's not the only divide that Jesus crosses, though. Um, <clears throat> he crosses, I suppose, what we could say, the, the, the gender divide or, or the, the, the socially accepted sort of division between men and women. Uh, the disciples in verse 27 couldn't understand it. Uh, they marveled, it says, that he was talking with a woman. What are you thinking? Especially for somebody like Jesus, who is a teacher, who's a rabbi, 
respected, you know, uh, um, religious leader, so to speak. Uh, one, one of the, uh, the Bible commentators here quotes a, a source of the, the, the writings of the rabbi. And uh, the writings of the rabbis in, in, in that sort of era actually um, were, were quite amazing. And I'll just, I'll just read it to you, and I'll let you make up your own mind here. Uh, but the, 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 the Bible commentator on this particular passage was saying, as D.A. Carson, he said that some, by no means all, but some Jewish thought held that for a rabbi to talk with a woman, even his own wife, was at best a waste of time, and at worst a division from the study of the Torah, that is the, the scriptures, and therefore potentially a great evil that could even lead to hell. Not all people thought like that, but some rabbis thought that it was a total waste of time, if not morally dangerous, to speak to a woman. What a, what a waste, even your own wife. Imagine that. But here is Jesus coming across the divide again, putting convention to one side, speaking, coming to this woman. He crosses the religious divide. He crosses the, I suppose, the gender divide. But also look at verse 6 of, of chapter 4. Um, it says that, that this was about the sixth hour, um, which is sort of uh, midday. It's, it's the, the time when the sun was the highest and the day was the hottest. And it's at that moment that Jesus meets her. And there she is. Why was she out in the middle of the day? No one actually would have gone out for water in the middle of the day unless they had to. Uh, most people would get water at the beginning of the day when it's coolest and then at the end of the day uh, when the sun was going down. And yet there is this woman here, the hottest day, alone. And clearly she was not expecting to meet anyone. Maybe she didn't want to meet anyone. We don't know why this was. But for whatever reason, she was somehow or other on her own. She was excluded. Um, perhaps she wasn't welcomed by other women you know who would have gone for water and so she was sort of forced to go on her own to get water maybe this was her routine maybe she removed herself from uh from her friendship circle for whatever reason she excluded herself from that and and decided to go out she didn't want to go on uh with with a group of women she wanted to be on her own and yet we see that the gospels uh, the descriptions of jesus life and ministry Time and again, it's, it's, it's these people that Jesus goes to. It's the ones on the fringe. So he crosses the religious divide, the gender divide, we could say the social divide. But he crosses, let's just say, the moral divide as well. She was a, a morally dubious woman, I suppose you could say. Where do we get that from? In verse 18, um, you know, he's, he's discussing with her... Um, you know, go and bring a husband. She says, I haven't got a husband. Jesus said, well, you're, you're, you're half right. Um, you've had five in the past, and the, the fellow that you're currently with is not your husband at all. You've had five marriages, and the guy that you're with is not your husband's. And even though there were so many things that divided a Jew and a Samaritan, the one thing they could both be united on is the fact that this was very wrong. Wrong indeed. Very much frowned upon. So the woman would be considered by her neighbors, I suppose, in her town as being unrighteous or sinful, immoral woman. So here we can see in, in this short section already, Jesus crossing multiple barriers in order 
to have an encounter with someone who wasn't even expecting it. The religious, the gender, the social, the moral. And it came at a great cost, let's just say, to himself. Because he risked, you know, as we saw from his disciples, being misunderstood at the very least, uh, potentially being condemned by other people. How dare you? What are you doing? There must be something wrong with you, some ulterior motives. But according to Jesus, it was totally worth it. He did all that so that she could have an encounter with him. And and again, when we look at the Gospels, we see this is the pattern of his ministry. It seems to be there's no one outside the remit of Jesus. There is is no one uh, who's too far away from Jesus that he is unwilling to go to. So whether it's your religious background or your lifestyle, or your history, or the mistakes you've made in the past, or the guilt that you feel, or the people group you're from, or whether you feel socially outcast or not, Jesus reaches out to anyone and everyone, all types. And he still does. He doesn't just go to people who've got it all sorted. He goes to people whose lives are a mess, out of control, See, an encounter with Jesus begins with him coming to you where you are. Not you getting yourself tidied up and then eventually coming to him. That's not how it works. No matter what is going on in your life, an encounter begins with Jesus coming to you. It is your response to that which makes all the difference. So if you want to have an encounter with Jesus, first of all, you need to see that he crosses the divide to reach to you. That's good news. The second thing that you need to see then to have an encounter with Jesus is that he, he offers you what your soul really needs, what you thirst for. Um, in, the, in the section that we haven't focused in on yet, there's this debate over water. Interesting how the, the, the theme of water comes up a lot in, in John's Gospel, isn't it, already? Uh, you know, we, we, we saw the water into wine a few weeks ago. Last week we saw, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you, you won't uh, enter the kingdom of God. And here's water again. And there is something to be said for that, this theme that, that, that John sort of winds through the whole, the whole of his gospel. Anyway, there's this debate about water. It's taken place at a, at a well, so, you know, it, it, it works. Um, and, and it seems to be this debate, this discussion is happening, happening at two levels. Um, and let's, let's refresh our minds in verse 10, for example. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you, uh, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, sir, I have nothing to, you've nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where will, I get this, where will you get this living water? And Jesus says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the stuff from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. It seems that she understands what he's talking about materially. We're just talking about the water in this well here. And he's talking about some super-duper water from another spring somewhere else. That's what she's thinking. But Jesus is sort of leading her and guiding her to see something far more significant than just a cup of cold water, as nice as that would be. She, she clearly has no uh, concept at the start of their conversation about who 
he really is. Are you greater, she says in verse 12, than our father Jacob, the father of the nation? Who can be greater than him? Well, Jesus says implicitly, yes, I am, actually. And I'm offering you something far greater, something far more satisfying, something that once you have drunk from it, it will never run dry. He says, doesn't he, unlike the water in Jacob's well, the water I can give you is eternal. It will continue bubbling over, welling up. In verse 15, she still doesn't quite get it. The, the penny hasn't clicked yet. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. Then Jesus gets real, I suppose. Uh, the, the, the conversation shifts a little bit. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband to come here. He's testing her. I've got no husband, she says. And Jesus says, You're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five in the past, and the man you've got is not your husband. She was partially true when she said, I don't have a husband. She was hoping to fend off inquiry, you know. Don't go any deeper. Don't push any harder. Um, but she had no luck, unfortunately, with that. You've got five husbands, says Jesus, and you're currently with a guy who's not your husband. We don't know the background of this woman, why, why this was the scenario of her life, why she'd had five marriages that had all ended. It could be any combination of these things. It could be that someone had died, one of the husbands had died. It could be they'd got divorced for some reason or other. It could have been abusive marriages that she needed to get out of. It could have been unfaithfulness. It could have been a fault. We, do, we just don't know. But whatever it is, Jesus calls her out. He names her sin. Just imagine for a moment all the divisions between him and her. And now it seems like he's peering into her soul. And she's probably standing there in the middle of the sun, the sun beating down on the pair of them, and she just wants the ground to open up and swallow her. Because in a few moments, her guilt, her shame, her darkest secrets, the things that she had been doing her best to hide and compensate for, they were brought instantly to the surface. Just imagine maybe the look on her face, possibly a mixture of fear, anger, sorrow. But notice what Jesus doesn't do in these verses. He doesn't heap insults on her. He doesn't get all judgy. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't turn away and walk disgusted at her life. The other townspeople may have walked away. Her friendship circles may have dissolved. Her family may have excluded her. But Jesus doesn't. He doesn't turn away. But neither does he sugarcoat everything and just say, oh well, all is well. Perhaps it was something about his body language that we just can't necessarily perceive in these verses. Perhaps the smile that he gave her. Perhaps I look in his eyes of compassion, love. 
She felt awkward. Of course she did. She wanted to run, and yet something deep within her made her stay. Stick with it. And he doesn't run either. Neither does she. You see, a real encounter with with Jesus, it might be terrifying. But equally, it draws you in. You may be terrified about what he might, might see in you, but you want more of him. There is something that warms you. There is something good about him. He identifies your sin and shame, but he's not shocked. He's not horrified. He's not disgusted. Instead, he's loving. He's kind. He's good. You want to trust yourself to him. You see, that's where this water conversation that they seem to be having comes to life. It seems that she has been seeking this temporary thirst fulfillment. And he is offering her eternal thirst fulfillment. In verse 13, for example, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. She has been looking to quench her thirst in the arms of other men. She's been looking for something from relationship, some security, some love, some affection, whatever it may have been. She was looking for that in the arms of other men. And Jesus stands before her and says, you can only get what you're really looking for through me. Very famous line from Augustine, one of the early church thinkers, um, said this very famously. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, in God. He's saying that unless we come to God, and to use the words of Jesus, unless we drink the living water, we're always going to be restless. We're always going to be thirsty. We were created and wired up to search for true life, for goodness, and for satisfaction, and to find all those things abundantly in God. That's how we were created. And yet, when we are left to our own devices, we start looking in all the wrong areas to fulfill those needs and desires that God has given us. That's why our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. We run around as people never satisfied, always needing more, always thirsty, until we find our rest in God. She was looking for relational fulfillment, for her identity, her security, protection, whatever, in men. But only Jesus can give those things. And maybe your circumstances are are similar to hers. Maybe they're, they're different on the surface. But all of us, according to Augustine here anyway, backed up by the scriptures, we spend our lives looking for what only God can give us. And for you, it may not be relationships or, or protection in, 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 in relationships like, like this woman likely was. But we all spend our lives looking for that which only God can give us. 
not just in the bad, the so-called bad things as well, like too much drink and recreational drugs and things, but, but in good things as well. The good things in life. We can make them the ultimate things. Whether we're looking for that fulfillment and that blessing in our family, having a great family, or having a romantic relationships is just going to deeply fulfill us. If I get that, then I'm just going to be right and all is well. Whether it's success in your career, I just climb the ladder and get to that place that I think I should be, then all is well. Whether it's having money, just enough money to, to, to be comfortable, and then all is going to be well. And so on and so forth. But as we find, the more that we get, the more thirsty we become. It's like drinking seawater. We drink deeply, and yet it just makes us thirst even more. Only Christ, as we're reading here, can truly satisfy us. He can only give us the affirmation, the identity, the belonging, whatever it may be, that our hearts truly crave for. And just to be clear, that's the living water that he's offering here in this scripture. It's him. He gives himself. The living water is Jesus himself. It is him. It is his Holy Spirit, his spirit being poured into you. That's why it says in verse 14, whoever drinks of this water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become in him or her as a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He gives you himself. And in verses 28 and forward, it says, the woman left her water jar. She forgets all about that, the reason that she was there. She went into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. You've got to meet this guy. And so you come and meet this guy who told me everything I ever did. You only want to come and meet this guy if he is good. So, so we've seen over the last few moments then as we've thought these things through together. Uh, to have an encounter with Jesus, we need to see that he crosses the divide to come to you. And secondly, to see an encounter, have an encounter with Jesus, you need to see that he offers you what your soul thirsts for. And only he can uh, provide it. Finally then, I just want to um, zone in really then on how Jesus actually provides the living water for you. How does he actually do it? Um, and, and I suppose on from that, how do you drink it? What do you actually have to do? Right? Um, let's, 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 let's go there. Um, I think at the, at the climax really of the, of the story of John, we're in John chapter 4, the climax of the story we see in John 20 and John 21 as Jesus uh, being nailed to the cross on his journey uh, to, to the place uh, where they, they try him, they find him to be guilty of sins he didn't commit, and then they put him onto the cross. And there on the cross, it says, Jesus has probably been hanging there for a few hours now. Um, chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus says, I thirst. And they sort of hoist up a bit of wine and some sponge thing, bitter wine. He, he manages probably to, to drink a bit. And in chapter 19, verse 30, he says, it is finished. 
And then it says he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He died. So the climax of the story of John, what has just happened? What has just finished for Jesus to say that? He was hanging there, and this is what's just happened. Jesus was hanging there on the cross. He was dying, although he was innocent, and he was thirsting. And John brings this out. He emphasizes this. Jesus, you see, on the cross was working to provide that living water. That's what he was doing. And and when the work was finished, he said, it is done. He was working to pay for your sins, to cover your guilt, to, to, to remove your shame. That's what he was doing on the cross. That's why he got thirsty. And he was paying for the sins of that Samaritan woman and removing her guilt and covering her shame. John tells us very famously, John 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Or I'm supposed to use Jesus' words here, whoever believes in me will not perish but have living water. The work was done. He said, it is finished. And then he died. See, that's how he made this living water available for you. He went went to the cross for you. He poured himself out for you. He thirsted for you. So that when you believe that he is who he says he is, he will give you that living water. As simple as that. He will cross the divides, plural, to reach out to you and give you what your soul thirsts for. He will offer you this living water free of charge. He pays for it himself with his own blood. That's what he does to make that living water available to you. So I hope you can see that the story at the center of the Christian faith is not good advice or moral improvement about how you can live a better life now. Nor is it just simply enjoying this inspirational figure of history. That's not what's at the center of our faith. Ultimately, those things are no good to you whatsoever. It's only the living water that Jesus promises that is good news. And he gives his life to obtain it for you. That's good news. And the good news that I'm here to proclaim to you this morning is that it really happened and that it is available for you today. That's the good news. So we thought about seeing Jesus crossing the divide. We thought about seeing him offering your soul what it really thirsts for. And we've seen finally how Jesus provides that water through going to the cross. So let's tie things up here at the end and just give ourselves you know, some, some specifics to work on. It really just depends on where you are at, what, what your understanding is, where, where you are, I suppose, in your faith journey. Here's, here's, here's an option that you might want to uh, look at, and this is, this is one I really want to press home. 
your first option in response really to, to some of these things we've been thinking about this morning is, 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 is quite simply to come to Jesus and receive that living water by faith. That's, that's how it works. You receive it by faith. You might identify with this woman somehow or other, um, maybe closely or, or just she sums up how you feel or, or even some of the things in her past and maybe chimes with yours. Perhaps like her, you've been looking everywhere, yet you're always thirsty, you're trying everything, your heart is restless, and maybe for the first time today, you realize that it is through the cross of Christ that he provides that living water your soul is truly thirsting for. And so if that is you, come to Jesus and receive that living water by faith. And we'll pray in a few moments to that end, and I'll, I'll, I'll lead you through a prayer that you can take as your own if you wish. First option. Second option is that you want to investigate more. Um, perhaps you're hearing some of these things for the first time. You're interested, but you haven't yet made up your mind about where you stand with, with Jesus. Um, and if that's you, <clears throat> I want to let you know, please, please don't discount, first of all, that what we're talking about. Don't discount Jesus. Um, if his claims are true, if what he says is true, then, then, then we cannot remain passive in, in, in how we think of him and just sort of walk away. We have to keep on thinking. And uh, we, we, we are a community here at Foundation Church that just invites questions, that welcomes people, whether they believe in Jesus or not, or are just investigating or just want to learn more. Um, there are a couple of books as well available if you want um, at the back. Um, they're there every week. There are no cost at all, much like the living water. Um, they, are, they are freely available. And um, depending on what you're, what, where you're at and what you're thinking, you can, you can take both of them if you want or have one or the other. It's really down to you. And that just might stir and encourage you in your faith um, as, as you think about um, Jesus. The third and final option, I suppose, in terms of responding to this message is come and see. Come and see. Just, just like the woman in verses 27 through to 30, she had an encounter with Jesus and then she rushed back to tell the people, come and see the man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? And it says uh, later on, actually, that in that town, many Samaritans believed because of her testimony, because of her encounter, that she was not only keeping and enjoying to herself, praise God, but she was sharing that with other people. She had received from Jesus the living water. Her thirst had been satisfied. And so as such, she naturally wanted to point other people to Jesus. Through That's what testimony is. You are testifying or talking about or witnessing to what Jesus has done. So that might be your response as, as, you, as you look at these verses and as we think them through. Come and see. What, what people has God placed in your life that, that you can say, come and see? Come, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did, and he's good. And maybe you can encounter him too. Family members, colleagues at work, that is such a rich source of opportunity, people. Who do you work with day in, day out? Outside of your family, they see you uh, much more closely. Um, than, than, than most others in your life. 
Why not invite them to church? I invite people to church all the time, by the way. They don't, they don't come, but uh, it's worth it, you know? It's worth it. And they have in the past, by the way, and, and uh, other special events like Christmas. Christmas is coming. Great opportunity there. Um, other events and things. It's worth it. Invite them to church. Invite them to your house. Open your home. Share your resources, even if it's a, a Facebook post or a, you know, a song that you've been really encouraged by. I'll share a story. Maybe some of you have heard this once before. There's a w- woman I, I work with who um, some of you have met, actually, and um, she is uh, um, one of the best uh, workers. She's one of the admin staff, and uh, she's a grandmother, and um, her nephew died very, very sadly. He was a man in his 40s. He died of motor neurone disease. Maybe heard of that. Um, progressive neurological uh, loss of function of your arms and legs and eventually your breathing. And it's a very sad and tragic disease. And this, this, this man died. They're from, a, they're from a Catholic background, the family. And I, I sent a, uh, a song to Pauline as a YouTube video uh, of a song, um, Christ Alone, Our Hope in Life and Death. And it's, it's, um, it's just saying that, that uh, ultimately our hope, our only hope is in Jesus, in his life and his death. And I sent it to her and she said, thank you so much, um, replied on text. And a few weeks later, I was asking about how the, uh, how the funeral went, the funeral mass. And she said, oh, well, you know, very, very sad. But um, she said, I passed on that song to the, the deceased's parents, mom and dad. And they loved it so much that they actually played it during the funeral. And so during the funeral mass, everybody stopped and listened to the song by the Gettys, Christ Alone, Our Hope in Life and Death. You just don't know where these little avenues will go. So give it a go. Come and see.